I would say that to me that the, the North Star metric for myself has been, you know, the uh, how large of an impact can I make on a company with the least amount of effort. That that's why I think we're investing not just in India, we're investing across the world. Right? As a family, we invested. We just did our first deal in Africa. We've done deals in Israel. We're connected to families in the U.S. We've done deals in the U.S. And then and now we're looking at Southeast Asia as another market. And the intent is that can we you know, put together a global alliance where you know we have the ability to take a company and really take them global. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast, where we bring you conversations with accomplished entrepreneurs, VC investors, and other folk who are doing significant work in India's startup ecosystem. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also see us live on Instagram every Friday morning. I'm Hari Arakli and my guest today is Anirudh Dhamani, founder and managing partner at Artha Venture Fund. Anirudh is not only a prolific early stage investor, but also a, a blogger in his own right and very uh, writes about his own experiences in the world of business. And he's also host of his own show called Dhamani Talks, which he has sustained now into its fourth season. Uh, and very regularly hosts entrepreneurs and investors in conversations about what, what inspires them. Anirudh comes from a family of uh, notable entrepreneurs and investors. After a degree in economics and business administration, he spent several years in the energy industry, uh, including in the US. And he has a keen interest in the renewable energy in, uh, sector. Uh, he returned to India in 2013 and uh, started uh, both uh, Artha Energy uh, Resources, an advisory firm in Mumbai, and also Artha India Ventures, which is more like his family office, uh, through which he has backed several noteworthy startups, and we'll ask him about that. Uh, and uh, that was before starting out on his own uh, with the micro VC firm Artha Venture Fund in 2018. Anirudh is also a certified uh, scuba diver. Anirudh, fantastic uh, to have you with us this morning. Thank you for making time once again and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Harichandran. And really, uh, thank you so much for the, the amazing introduction. <laughs> All right. So normally I jump right into, you know, asking uh, my guests about uh, what got them started on this path and so on. But uh, this week, as you know, earlier on this week, uh, we had an interesting uh, uh, budget uh, speech. So I was just wondering, and also there were there was a lot of commentary uh, from the finance minister in the area of uh, energy transition and so on. So it's an area that uh, you're very keenly interested in. So I thought maybe I could ask, uh, by, you know, I could start by asking you about any thoughts uh, on that and then we'll jump into your work so i i think it was it was overall a, a good budget you know and i think this government is uh, at, at least over the years made it quite clear that they you know they've not gone for populist kind of uh, measures right especially in, in an election year uh, it it is you know you considering the difficulties of the last couple of years you know we've had obviously uh, a, a pretty terrible pandemic we've had millions of people uh, that have been without a job so considering all of that i think the uh, you know the, the fact that they did not increase any taxes is probably a, a good thing you know and they've decided to uh, you know to continue with uh, a fiscal deficit for a couple of years i think in, on those fronts i was quite uh, quite excited I, I i do believe and i know this is a, this is a request that i've had uh, from several uh, in several different times that you know there should be a, a bit more support to the startup uh, ecosystem thankfully that the finance minister at least recognized that the you know what the startups have been able to do 
during the pandemic i think the you know what they are able to do what they can do was completely out of the four uh, you know we've uh, delivered uh, you know goods and services and, and to the to the you know the farthest reaches of this country 99% of indian pin codes for example have received at least one online delivery in the last 6 months and uh, and and you know we've ensured that people did not uh, go uh, without access to you know to the to the best things right and, and I just believe that you know the kind of risk that founders and and their team members are taking on. Uh, uh, you know, they, they still have to pay pay twenty percent uh, tax on selling their unlisted shares, as they call them. Uh, same thing for investors. We take a huge amount of risk early on. I think we've ju- we've only requested that whatever the LTCGs for listed should also be the same tax on the unlisted or the startup ecosystem. We already have registered uh, startups, uh, you know, with the with uh, DPIT and all that. so it really makes uh, sense that at least bring some parity to that and and, and reward the uh, the risk taken by founders their employees and by investors by at least bringing in some parity to this entire uh, you know conversation i think that hasn't happened hopefully uh, next year we, you know we'll uh, we'll expect something from that although although i do believe that bringing in a crypto tax definitely is is a big positive you uh, effectively have at least made it uh, Uh, you know reduce the amount of stress maybe that crypto holders have that whether it is illegal and what what kind of searches could happen because of it uh, yes it is taxed at, at the rate of horse uh, you know horse betting or or gambling but but i i think so early in the game you know with a new asset and you know many people obviously have utilized it for uh, for uh, you know getting money out of the country both in, in india and outside so i think uh, the 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 finance minister has taken a role that will will try to legitimize it over a period of time but uh, but initially let's just tax it and figure out how the money flows so which is a good thing perfect so let's let's just uh, jump into uh, today's conversation's uh, main uh, topic which is your journey tell us a bit about uh, the path that uh, brought you to artha venture fund uh, we'll go from there so we, we might end up the entire time explaining that so <laughs> So I I come from a fourth generation family of entrepreneurs. Uh, Great grandfather started out uh, with a with his entrepreneurial journey in a town called Bikaner in the western part of Rajasthan. Uh, we uh, you know then my grandfather took it from Bikaner to Calcutta and then my dad took it from Calcutta to Bombay. Uh, and he diversified into the stock markets in the the early seventies. Uh, and after that you know he's done other businesses in uh, hospitality. uh private equity and and real estate construction the reason i bring it up is because i have a very different path to all of this um i after graduation after i did a double major in, in the us i actually went to study computer science and i uh, you know very famously flunked out the first year because i realized that while i was really good with good with uh, technology uh and and with computers i wasn't really good at writing code right so uh, so after my first year i switched over uh, i did a double major in economics and business, business administration uh post graduation i took up a job as a door to door salesman so in, in town called midland and odessa i started knocking on doors uh, convincing people to switch their energy companies from the current company to the company i was working for i then set up a commercial uh, energy division so where we sold uh, you know long term power contracts to uh, you know uh, basically smes and msmes and even even uh, you know medium sized enterprises uh that got me a nationwide contract for our company with suez energy and uh, you know that became I mean, that literally was a huge uh, turning point in my career suez at the time and 
even today is the world's largest energy company and with them we had almost an unlimited kind of balance sheet to go out there and acquire customers uh, over the next 5 years you know i um, i mean i set up offices across the us uh, we had four offices in texas we, we had an office in chicago new york connecticut maryland etc etc uh was i think one of the most exciting times of my career i mean at 25 26 i was managing over you know 500 people i was pretty much on a flight every second day uh and it all came crashing down in 2009 obviously uh, and when the entire market seized up uh and that was a time when i decided to to become from uh being an operator of the business to started to become the owner of the business so me and a couple of buddies we pulled in all our savings and we bought up the company uh and we pushed it back from bankruptcy into you know becoming a profitable company brought in more technology to reduce operational expenses and in 3 years we had been brought the company out of uh, you know the the struggling position it was in it was making more profit than it had ever had in its history and we got a chance to sell the company and uh, that's uh, that was my uh, trigger to come back to india i thought that you know that now that i had in, my, in at least in, my, in 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 at a 29 year old uh, mindset that you know i had conquered the world uh i thought i came i'll come back to india and india is going to be so easy to 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 now master i'll do a similar business uh landed here in 2012 and it was uh, nothing i ever thought of and nothing i ever believed could be possible and it was one of the most uh, harrowing experiences of my life to set up a business in india in 2012 and especially in the infrastructure segment where up had done most of its scams back then uh that were coming out like both in terms of uh, infrastructure and in terms of power Uh, so it took me about 9 months to register a business which was unbelievable i was I, i i wondered how people did business here and it took me another 3 months to open up a bank account so 12 months into the time i thought about opening a business i had just got to a point where i had a bank account right and uh, and that was i think the time when i realized that i was wondering how do people in india actually do business right if if it takes one year to you know get from setting up a business uh, to having a bank account and uh, it became basically the genesis to start investing in other entrepreneurs to sort of understand the ecosystem uh, while i was setting up my own business and struggling with it uh, and in about a couple of years it just became a full time passion here i mean i i just realized that that i had really good experience in sales i knew how to sell a product i knew how to price a product i knew how to sell at a premium and indian entrepreneurs knew how to build product and you know we've done this for the world we built if you look at indian engineers they built pretty much uh, most banking systems across the world and i thought I I I would I, it was like a fish to water and uh, the partnership worked out really well and uh, over I think over the next 2 3 years I I hived off my my ambitions to my brother and I I got full time into uh, supporting startups and uh, setting up stuff I think we were part of the largest angel exit in 2016 which was a company called Oyo Rooms and that was the genesis to actually even double up and triple up our commitment to the space in 2018 set up India's first micro VC fund and we closed that fund uh in 2021 uh getting oversubscribed we made 20 investments so far it's been a, like i said it's a crazy long journey over 100 100 startup we've invested in directly uh and indirectly uh you know probably supported over 300 startups till date when you when you were uh, when you were going door to door what was your argument to your potential customers to get them to switch Oh, it was uh, so. I, I still have the script, by the way. I, I was just cleaning out a hard drive when I had COVID two weeks ago, and I found my script. So it was, it was. So you know, the the best part was to immediately get their attention, right? So we we had this thing that as soon as you knocked on someone's door, someone opened it, 
uh, whether you would close the sale or not was decided whether you could get inside the house within the first minute of meeting them so you have to build that trust right away and so you have to get inside the house of of a person you don't know of somebody you're knocking a door of you have to get inside the house within a minute and convince them to let you in uh, and and the the first thing was to obviously tell them that there was a law change so immediately you get grab their attention and tell them that their rates were about to go up which which it was it was already in the papers and that we could give them a flat rate but for 3 years and uh, and that was like within the first minute we got that message out got inside the door and then just explained uh like the the intent was to have a very very simple presentation right and that the sale was going to happen in 10 minutes every other minute after that the potential of selling that customer was going down by the minute right so you had to close a sale in 10 minutes you had to do it quick uh and it was better to get it you know like and i in fact i bring this even to fundraising today right that is better to get a quick yes sorry a quick no than a long yes because a long yes is will kill you right but the quick no's are the ones that you know you can quickly move on like this is it like just give me why you don't want to do it and i'll move on to the next door and, and so you have to knock on 100 doors and it was just the point, the intent was like get in get out right get in finish your 10 minute presentation get out get in finish your 10 minute presentation get out and if, if the customer does, doesn't do it in 10 minutes he's not going to do it and then you move on to the next house the energy company that you and your friends uh, acquired what what was it called in the us in the us the, the company we acquired was at the time called superior energy resources and we renamed it to pioneer energy resources and then you sold it and you came back to india yeah. and all right all right and uh, from 2013 being really flummoxed about how to do business in india to today do you see any uh, good changes any interesting changes absolutely i i think you know see we we obviously were a socialist country for a very long time right till 1991 and then then obviously the the big bang budget that uh, you know dr manmohan singh came out with and then it took but it took you know the 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 institutions of socialism that were set up you know they they've taken a long time to be taken out right so i think 2012 was one of those times when new businesses and and you know for the first time you've seen the youth of the country you know you had an 18 year old ritesh getting funded and 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 there was a lot of interest getting built out at the time uh but you know the banks weren't ready the ecosystem wasn't ready the mca wasn't ready there wasn't there wasn't any dpit there was no startup uh you know ministry as you would call it there was no invest india at that time now everything's changed right now 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 you know everyone wants to get into a startup right people are more excited about esop today at that time we had to al- almost guarantee that the esop is going to have value for an employee to take it right but today employees want esop that's one of the that's one of the primary motivating factors for an employee joining especially a startup that what is my esop going to be now that's a huge change in a country the size of you know with with a population of africa right it's a huge change in 10 years right today you 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 know even I, i'm sure from your your angle if you could get equity into forbes india right you would like yeah of course you would want that but 10 years ago you would like yes go beaching kisko right who will i sell this to but now that has changed right there's a and and the institutions have changed the banks today right you know they they are much more receptive leaving out maybe a couple but most of them are very very receptive and want startup businesses they want you know to be uh, looked at as a startup friendly bank uh, the ministry wants to be looked at as a startup friendly ministry and all of these things have completely changed the paradigm in the indian ecosystem abi abi where we want to be absolutely not you know we're too big of a country to change you know to to move a ship and and turn it around so quickly but i i see i see that the way where things are going now 
over the next 10 years things have already become you know between 2012 2022 i think things are at least 10 times to 20 times better i think but over the next 10 years you're going to have another 20 10 to 20x kind of a change so that's a 200x change in 20 years and, and and anyone will tell you that that is that's just you know unheard of so you've closed a fund uh, last year um tell us a bit about uh, the kind of startups that you want to back the kind of entrepreneurs that you want to back so we set up this uh, thing called the micro vc fund right and the intent was uh, that uh, the journey that i've had with startups i i, I like com- working with companies when they've got uh, early revenue so i call them revenue stage companies so these are companies where you have roughly about 5 to 10 lakhs a month in revenue they have a bit you know they already obviously have a product or a service that's out there and the uh, our intent is to be able to you know identify that customer and to help them continue this the growth that they're on so usually we come in with a 2 to 4 crore check at uh, at a seed plus stage or a revenue stage as i called it and then but we have two thirds of our fund reserved for follow on which is a unique position that we've got because what what that means is that for, for every follow on round we can double down on the same company so if i've done a 2 crore check at seed at revenue stage i can do 4 crore at pre series a i can do 8 crores at series a right and and in fact we just wrote a large, largest check uh, into lendin club which raised at series a last ma- last month and we wrote an 11 crore check into them so you know we we can go up to 10 crore at a series a level which also gives a lot of confidence to the incoming investor that there is there is a seed investor who wants to write the largest check alongside uh, their uh, their series a uh, investment you have obviously been investing uh, for several years through arthur india venture as well so have you uh, figured out what uh, sectors you want to back or are you uh, sector agnostic uh, but there there are other ways in which you figure out what you want to back yeah absolutely i, I we're not we've never been excited about sectors per se because you know especially in the world we live in sectors come and go very quickly right crypto's gone through three boom and bust cycles in five years uh so so for us i would what the way i look at it i like being more thematic in my investing so you know looking at what what's going to play out over the next 7 to 10 years uh so when uh, the the current thesis now is is talking about direct to consumer right I, i think obviously we've seen that uh, do extremely well so direct to consumer is one and secondly is the direct to consumer enabling ecosystem right so there is an entire ecosystem required to go direct to consumer and uh, so everything from warehousing last mile logistics etc etc and last last but not the least b2b saas i think we've been investing heavily into b2b saas for the last 10 years uh, but you're now seeing you know the the indian uh, uh, b2b saas companies you know getting a chance to really go out there and and compete with the best in the world and in many cases winning uh, like you know got the zohos and the the fresh desk of the world and you're seeing them uh, some of these have become listed and are multi billion dollar companies uh, after listing and mm. uh, you're already uh, quite uh, interested in uh, renewable energy you've uh, you're you're an expert in that area uh, more broadly would you be looking at climate tech as an investment opportunity and are there companies like that coming up in india so there are usually in climate tech you know there are three or four different kind of companies but usually you've got the one that are the, there are more r&d and hardware focused right and, and usually those require a re- really long gestation period and, and lots of money uh to be able to support right uh, so those are usually not the areas that we invest in because you know heavy capex uh, and heavy working capital are two areas that that we don't find truly interesting uh from an investment perspective because it requires us to put dole out lots and lots of cash before we see a result uh 
but I, I like I like the application side of it, right? So while there are a few companies I've not been able to invest in, uh, but there is this one company called Fool, for example, right? You would, which is basically utilizing uh, you know waste the the flowers that get discarded at temples to create agarbattis, right? Or to create uh, and and I, and I think that's a brilliant utility utility. Right, that's 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 definitely helping with climate change, and I think those are the kind of companies where there's a real application. There's one that I just saw a couple of days back, where they're where they're going to factories and ca- capturing the carbon, and then they're making that carbon and uh, taking that carbon and making tiles out of them, right? And so they, you've got a permanent carbon capture because the tiles are going to get utilized. Uh, so those are the kind of applications that make a lot more sense to me, and and th- those are the kind of companies I would love to fund. And on your website, I saw uh, you have a tab for Artha Access. Uh, what is that about? So, uh, you know, w- one of the things that we realize that when companies come to us, right, and they, you know, usually they take about three to four months to complete due diligence with us, and we started investigating why that is, right, and the point was that many of these companies are not aware of the kind of uh, you know rules and regulations that they're violating right sometimes they're paying tds late or they're not done doing their board meetings or sometimes you even seen companies that have not even allocated equity or they've utilized the money that was uh, invested into them prior to completing all the company secretary requirements now all of these at that time may not be important for the company but as the company grows right these can come back to really bite them uh, especially at series a and as they get larger because they're all violations and each one of them has like some pretty amazing fines behind it uh, and many of the times what we've realized is that it takes such a long time from the time we've said yes and we've received investment committee approval to invest in them till the time we write a check that it, it really loses momentum for the company and, 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 and even for us so artha access was an intent and, and and is now doing really well is that we where we've gone to accelerators incubators saying that listen instead of waiting for a company to finish the program and then waiting three to four months till they find funding again right why can't we start invest co-investing with you small checks right whatever you're investing in you send us your cohort we'll we'll choose the companies that that fit our thesis and we'll co-invest with you five lakh ten lakh we just did a check for as high as 25 lakhs also and we've allocated about you know uh seven hundred fifty thousand dollars from our fund for this program intent being that you know, we co-invest with accelerators. We'll help the company. It won't be something that we are intensively involved with, involved with, like we are with our main portfolio. But on once in a month or once in fifteen days, we'll get in, you know, get in touch with the founder, figure out what help they require, and act as an external uh, advisor, mentor for them. And once they're done and they're doing well, we can immediately bring them into the program because we've already funded that company, right? So it becomes much faster from a due diligence level and 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 for them to get access to capital. Because the minute they're out of a cohort and they're doing their demo day, right? They could get an investor who's already on the cap table who can, you know, fund them up to twenty crores in three rounds, and they could really accelerate their uh, their growth. And what it also does is because we've doubled down on the money that they receive before they uh, when they're in incubation or acceleration, it also gives them a lot, much better latitude to go out there and acquire talent and and and, and uh, you know make sales and and, and grow quicker. Over the last uh, several years of uh, investing in startups, um, have you arrived at some kind of a, a bedrock philosophy in terms of what you're looking for when you invest? I mean, you already told us about uh, in terms of business that they have to have a certain revenue and things like that. But you take a step back and look at what you really want to back. What is that philosophy at Artha? 
So it's simple, yeah. It's it's four four things, you know, that that we've made it very simple. We've explained the same thing to our investors. We explained the same thing to our founders, right? First of all, we like to see businesses, and we'd like to invest in businesses that are solving a real human problem, right? A lot of the times, you have problems that businesses are solving or startups are solving that are good to solve, may not be a need to solve problem, right? And and that is extremely important. Uh, simply because if you if you are solving a problem that is need to solve, the customer keeps coming back again and again to get that solution from you, right? And they'll also refer more people. I mean, India is such a large country, uh, and my dad used to say that you know from from the time I remember uh, you know having any memory is that in India if you find one person who has a problem, there are at, you know at least another crore people right behind them with the same problem. So you don't have to figure this out you know for the hundred and thirty crore, just figure it out for one. And then we find a hundred, hundred in a crore customers right behind. That's ten billion customers just in terms of uh, that. So, so solve a real human problem, right? And and that's one of the core tenets of our uh, investment philosophy. Secondly, we like to see unit economics that are positive and can scale, right? Companies cannot make operating losses and then decide to make net profit. It's just that that mathematics just does not work. So we like to see businesses that are operating profits. That yes, there will be net losses as you're growing because you know there is a lot of investments required. that that may not show immediate results but after the initial testing phase businesses should be selling their services or their products at a price higher than what they are it costs them to deliver that product right so that that's 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 the second tenet third one is that we like to see businesses that have a significant moat right so usually about you know it should take about 6 to 12 months for somebody else to replicate what you are currently doing even if they had let's say Ten times the money that you, that they have that you have today, it should you should at least be six to nine months ahead of your competition, and that moat that the difference that you keep creating with 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 your uh, with your competition, literally drives your valuation later on in life, right? And and the last is uh, you know use technology, you know obviously businesses today cannot survive without technology, but technology can only be looked at as an enabler. Technology itself is rarely the business, right? It's usually some very simple business idea that is getting Uh, you know, uh, accelerated because of technology, right? Either you're bringing the cost down, or you're increasing the potential to sell, or you're or you're improving efficiencies. But technology, as itself being the business, is fairly rare, right? Most of your businesses today, you'll see, are they're a simple business at the back end, but they're getting accelerated using technology, right? They're using technology to accelerate the business, and I think those are the businesses that do really, really well. So those are the four tenets, right? Uh, that we uh, uh, invest uh, on. Here's one example of uh, one of your startups that is that kind of meets these criteria really well. That's really doing well. Sure, I, I mean the the best one I could uh, let's talk about LinkedIn Club, right? Is we just funded this company. We I've been involved with them for the last five years. So today, if you look at the business, right, it's uh, it's a very simple business, right? Today, it's 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 a peer-to-peer lender, right? So basically, does the it is basically does the middle layer of a bank. Right, you've got a bunch of depositors that we that on their platform we call lenders, and then you've got people that want money, and they act as the conduit in between, where they take care of you know doing the due diligence on the uh, on the borrower, they take care of uh, you know disbursing money and recovering money, and then getting it back to the lender. Uh, it's fairly simple business, age old. It's, I mean, even even your even if you go back to the The Bollywood movies of the 70s and 80s. You had the Munimji, you know, would give out money to people and then then uh, then collect using his henchmen or whatever. Uh, these guys don't have henchmen, but they're all. I'm just I'm just giving it for creative effect. Um, but what they've done is they utilize technology to make it extremely efficient and fast 
to dis to to get money from lenders and to give it to the borrowers. So today, Lendian does somewhere close to about two hundred fifty to three hundred crore a month in lending, and they have zero exposure on their books. They have no exposure at all. They make so lenders uh, can make anywhere between twelve to eighteen percent kind of returns, and the borrower on on the other hand is pe- are people that would usually not get money from a bank. Right or the amount they're asking for, the banks cannot afford to give it to them because they're asking for fifteen thousand, twenty-five thousand, fifty thousand rupees. And for a bank, the the cost to service the customer is far beyond what it, they will make as interest. And they, using technology, are able to cater to that customer, able to make money and be profitable. So today, Lendian makes a monthly profit of around two and a half, three crore a month after paying all expenses, after everything. So for me, if you look at it. they are solving a real human problem both for the lender who is looking for better return and for the borrower who is looking for access to cash at fast quick efficient and also you know at a price point at which it makes sense you know if your processing fees become higher than your interest you know your your obviously is going to cost you a lot of money so you know it's solving a real human problem it's got technology as the enabler because it is a fairly simple business But technology has been utilized to scale it very, very quickly. Right? It's got a significant moat. I think the next, the next P2P lender after them is about one fourth their size at the point at this point. So they've got a fairly huge moat above their competition, right? And the unit economics are positive. In fact, not just unit economics. In, the company itself is usually positive. Uh, is usually uh, profitable, and uh, so it meets all our four criteria, and we'll continue to support it uh, from this and future funds. Hmm. How closely do you like to work with uh, founders? Are you happy to give them the money and uh, sit back and let them do the work if you're satisfied with the pedigree, or would you like to be involved very closely with them? Usually, the the stage at which we come in, Hari, uh, they 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 want us to be involved early on, right? What see what my, one of the first things uh, that we get involved with the company with is to actually give the founder all the information that he needs. about the company in front of him at all times right so the first and, and we become the bad person first right to, to make sure that uh, the founder doesn't get into some sort of a uh, friction with his team so what we say is that we want a dashboard which explains all your numbers on an excel sheet and will will track them on a weekly basis right and this is a very fairly detailed list of uh, new uh, uh, kpi that we want to want to track what we're trying to figure out is out of So you see, business is a bunch of processes running in parallel at the same time, right? Sometimes they're 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 simultaneous, sometimes they're they're complementary, and sometimes you know one process leads to another. But all of them is throwing out numbers. Now you have to figure out which are the ten to twelve numbers that actually have a direct impact on your business, right? So you know, aside from the book Blink, right? There's a huge number of numbers, but there are thin slices of numbers that will decide what the which other numbers can get the most effect. for most founders that kind of reporting doesn't happen to where they can figure out which exact metric is going to be the most important one for the entire organization to run on so usually call that the north star metric as ycom but we also try to figure that out right what's that one metric that really is going to define what the company is doing and what are the set of kpis that if we turn one lever right up or down has the maximum impact on the kpi that we want to or the other north star metric right So for Lendin, I mean, Bhavan still uses the sheet. So we have a f- almost a four and a half year long Excel sheet 
where numbers have gotten tracked on a weekly basis and they only utilize that sheet to figure out how to do business decisions. So imagine the value of that sheet. This is now a 350 crore company has been using this sheet for the last five years. We started this at a three crore valuation. We built a 300 crore business just on that, on, on that sheet. That, according to me, takes the most amount of effort, right? And initially, we have to be involved with the founder to handhold him through many of these, uh, the data collection, to, to discard the metrics that don't matter, to, to you know, uh, to uh, ask for metrics that do matter. And once you stabilize on that list of KPIs, the business becomes fairly easy to run, right? For example, uh, we all drive, right? Now, there's a bunch of processes going on inside the combustion engine. And in, and in running your air conditioning and running everything else. But what is what do you really have in front of your dashboard, right behind the steering wheel, are just a set of KPIs that matter, right? You need to know what speed you're going at. You need to know what direction you're going at. You need to know what, what the engine temperature is at and how much fuel you've got left, right? Usually these are the metrics that are important for you to keep driving the car. And, and using those metrics, you can drive all the way from Bombay to Delhi, right? without having to worry about what's exactly going on in the engine, right? Because everything else doesn't really matter. And if something does, immediately a light will come on, saying, you know, check engine light or, or whatever that is. And, and we build, we help founders build that kind of a dashboard for themselves so they can drive the business to whatever lengths and whatever heights they want. But every time knowing exactly where they stand and what is required to get to their destination. So this experience over almost the last decade, uh, for you, what have been uh, the top takeaways? Uh, I was just saying that, uh, you know, right before this call, we were having a quick meeting. I said, I think the biggest learning for me has been that, that this too shall pass, right? I think uh, whether you're doing extremely well or you're doing, or you're down in the dumps, right? You just, it, it, you know, the, this game, the, the game of entrepreneurship is a game of perseverance and is a game of always being open and ready to change, right? Because even the biggest businesses, uh, you know, they raise, you could raise billions of dollars, but if you're not paying attention, you know, you, you could fall behind uh, very, very quickly, right? So, and, and sometimes you may be in the bottom of the, or bottom of the barrel, you know, scraping really between the bottom and you're thinking that there is no tomorrow and that there is, the sun's never gonna rise again, right? Because just darkness everywhere. But the point is, if you just persevere long enough, right? If you keep your head close to the ground, you know, if you work hard, study hard, and you're, you're teachable, right? You just don't know how quickly things can change, right? Uh, uh, the the an event like the pandemic, right? When we, when we started, it looked like the end of the world, right? But the startups that went through that that trial by fire and came out of it today are much stronger than when they started the pandemic with, right? But you have to just Persevere, you have to just, you know, you have to be drastic, right? I mean, entrepreneurship is the best part about being an entrepreneur is you can, you know, you have the power to change things, right? You have power to uh, to influence the result. And, and and from time to time, you have to utilize that power. I think that's the biggest learning. This too shall pass. Hmm. Yeah, on that point, uh, in your own career, have there been any truly pivotal moments? Many of them. Several of them, I would say. I think... Uh, I remember when I first, I mean, uh, the first time I went from residential sales to commercial sales, right? It was a completely different sale. You know, it, it like it was no longer in one minute, I get, in a, get inside someone's house, right? Business owners are much smarter. They're much more used to salespeople. So I had to up my game, right? To another level. 
overnight. And uh, so my team actually outsold me in 2006. We had a massive competition when we started with Suez. And and uh, I was, as the leader of the team, I had not sold a deal in two months. But my team was out there really killing it. And there was a competition that the person who gets to the to five deals the fastest, you know, would, would get a huge bonus. So my team member got the first bonus, then there was a second bonus, and I was like, still at zero. And I, I thought that, I, you know, at that moment, I was like 24 years old or 25 years old or something, something like that. And I was like, I thought this was the end of the world. You know, that I can't sell a deal. I, I remember going back to my car and I had just been kicked out of the business by the business owner. And I went back to the car and I started weeping. I started crying because I was like, it just for two, if for two months, you've not sold anything, it can, it can really get to you, right? And I called, I actually called my, uh, my colleague, right? Who was at the same position as me. And I was just telling him, listen, I just think I'm done. I'm going to quit. This is it. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting today. And he said, listen, calm down. First of all, right? I'm going to give you a book. You read this book. Don't do anything else. Go get yourself an ice cream and read this book. And once you're done reading, then we'll talk. I said, okay. So he gave me the book. I went and bought it. And uh, I think it took me about three and a half, four hours to finish reading the book. I was sitting in my car, air conditioning on. And I went out. The next business I walked into, I closed three deals in that business right away. right? And then it completely changed my career. Like I went from uh, that year, I ended up winning about five or six awards in, in, in the company. I was the top salesperson, top team leader, top air leader, top regional leader, and top national leader. So not only was I you know, head of sales, but I actually on each and every angle beat my own comp, beat my own team members. And, 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 you know, later on in my career, I went through another slump in 2007, eight, uh, when we, when I shifted from selling in Texas to selling in Chicago and I had the same issue. And at that time, again, I had somebody who told me to read the exact same book and it changed my career once again. So, so you've had these slumps, you know, in 2009, when the entire market was falling apart, we didn't know what was going on. That was a low point. 2012, coming here and waiting a year to get a business going, low point once again. Um, so yeah, I, I think you, as an entrepreneur, you have to get used to the fact that every three or four years, you're going to have a slump. You should be prepared for it. Uh, so don't put yourself in a situation ever that you don't have enough gas in the tank, uh, both at an emotional, physical, uh, and even at a monetary level. But because every time you make it through that slump, people that were not prepared for the winter, they, they, you know, it's like the animals that are not prepared for the winter, they usually die in the winter, which, which means whoever comes out of the winter has a lot more resources to feast on, right? And that's what I think entrepreneurship sometimes is that if you have a hard winter, right? Remember that when you come out of it, there's going to be a lot more resources available to you because whoever could not survive that winter has left the ground open for you, right? And, and some, that's why some of the best businesses were built in a recession, the Airbnbs of the world and etc. They've always come out of Uber has come out of a recession and because people get fired and then they have to go out and you know figure out uh, how to make the world work. And if you invest as an investor, if you have money at that time, some of my best returns have come in years where I have invested when there was a recession, nobody else was investing and I had cash and that, that's been some of the best results I've had. And so that's uh, something that I would recommend to all entrepreneurs. Do you remember the name of the book? Who wrote it? Yeah, uh, the book is, and I've given it to multiple multiple salespeople across my uh, career. It's called "How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling." It's written by a guy called Frank Betiger, 
and uh, very so he, he talks about so he was a baseball player who blew out his i think he blew out his shoulder so he couldn't uh, play baseball anymore so he goes into selling insurance and he basically sucks at selling insurance for a long long time right till he starts measuring each and every interaction that he's having with the customer and he starts figuring out that you know at what optimal level of interaction do i close and how many cold calls do i need to make before i get a sale and he just measures every single thing this is a guy i think this is late 1800s and he's measuring things and he's put those those details like i said it's all about the kpis right he just figures out that after four interactions i've never the, the amount of time it takes to close the customer is just too long so he stops doing fifth meetings altogether he says kid four agar char meeting mein customer close nahi ho to close nahi ho you know and so that entire life story that entire mindset i think that's what is really exciting about the book and, and i would recommend to anybody any sales any sales person and all entrepreneurs inherently are sales people so any one of them should read this book it will help you sell product or sell shares of your company when you are fundraising when things were down now what kept you going you know I, i'm one of those guys that that just doesn't know how to take a no right like like i i, I can accept a rejection but i can't accept failure right because you always have to figure out you can always figure out how to turn these things around right so i i don't know how, how that is but maybe you know some some part of it could also come from the fact that early on in life i i was part of a joint family so you know there were a lot more kids you had to always you know you had to i mean i remember like summers were like 15 16 kids in a house right and and obviously that doesn't happen much at least to the to the current generation but that was one of the uh, that social interaction is one of the you know uh things that 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 takes you through life right because you know the person you are friends with today especially as kids tomorrow you know you could be <laughs> you would start fighting with the same cousin and suddenly there's factionalism and there's all this stuff that goes on uh and it just reminds you like you know nothing's permanent you know not, not, everything is open and subject to change and it will change at the drop of a hat and i think you get used to that when, especially when you come from that kind of a joint family kind of mindset so uh yeah to me i i've just, i've just never never found it uh, i've never taken failure and said you know this is the end of my this is the end of things like this and whenever i have you know life has come back and told you that you know what no no uh, just just hold on a little bit longer just change a little bit and and things will change yeah i mean earlier on uh, in india generally the mindset was that uh, failure was not something people talked about it's something to be ashamed of uh, and and a lot of entrepreneurs talk about how uh, in silicon valley for example uh, you know home of tech entrepreneurship failure is celebrated uh, do you see that happening in india i mean are entrepreneurs today closer to being much more comfortable in their own skin closer to being uh, comfortable with failure as a means of getting to uh, success and so on you know i, I think the culture is still one of the, see what's happening now at least and i think we're on that process to get there right is you see we don't come from a culture uh, you know for example i remember said some of my uh, uh, you know dormants in in college when i was there in the us they all had like sold lemonade at the side of the street you know like they've done they've done these things uh, and and it didn't matter which which startup society they came from you know these were some of the richest families in the us to to working class families in the us uh, however if if to, if i had sat sort on the street and started selling lemonade right there would be like like a social revolution 
uh, you know, in our society that what's happening, you know, why is my Ashok ji's son selling lemonade on the side of the road, right? It, it's, we don't come from that entrepreneurial kind of mindset. We come from, you know, we come from a very different mindset when it comes to dealing with failure. And, and, and that mindset is slowly changing, but there still is a lot of stigma attached to, sales, to failure. But the point is, if you're an entrepreneur, the point is to fail fast, right? Don't fail slow, fail really, really fast. Right, because the faster you fail, the faster you figure out how not to fail, right? And what it takes to 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 improve. Now, the longer you take, like I was saying earlier, you know, it's better to get a quick no than a long yes. The longer you take to figure things out, the feedback loop that the that you know the lean start talks about. The longer that feedback loop is, right? The longer you are away from exactly figuring out what it will take to succeed. You know, just be iterative very quickly. Like, you know, get in and get out of, of, of your experiments extremely, extremely quickly because you'll then figure out what actually works. Uh, so today, at least the good thing is that usually entrepreneurs don't, you know, will, are, are more than willing to at least sell their companies or sell their technology to another company in a means of like, you know, saying that, you know, at least the, at least the company carries on forward or at least my work carries on forward. And there are a lot of companies who are willing to buy you know, technology uh, or like Acme hire or, or technology uh, hire just because it solves a problem. You know, you would get nothing for, for an acquisition. You know, companies wanted to, if they realize that you were in trouble, they would want to buy you for almost nothing. Right. Or they would give you an offer. You would say it's better to me for me to shut down and, and kill whatever I've done than, than sell it at this. That has changed, right? I mean, I, if you look at the reliances of the world, you look at even, you know, the Tatas, they've all come in and they've acquired businesses that are doing extremely well. And they've also acquired businesses that are struggling. And they're saying, listen, this technology of this team could help me get where I want as a group. Right. And that mindset change from their end has also percolated down to other companies. You know, Baiju's, the number of companies Baiju's acquired, the number of companies, one of our portfolio companies called Exotel has acquired. All of them are now saying, listen, it's better to be more collaborative, much bigger. Right. And I cannot build everything. So I'm happy acquiring. I'm happy giving you a fair price for it. Right. Uh, it, it, it depends upon how much you've raised or where you are, where you are, but it could be a great exit. It could be a decent exit. It could not be, a, it could at least be a, you know, one X kind of exit, but they're willing to do that. And I, I, this was not there 10 years ago. So hopefully this, this will also lead to, you know, uh, uh, you know, for us to start accepting failure at some point in the future, we're not there yet. I, I think people still had to hide when the startup shut down, right? But uh, hopefully in the next, uh, five, 10 years as this entrepreneurial culture percolates further into the ecosystem, further into our mindset, that will change. Mm. You talked about uh, having the um, joint family experience uh, growing up. If you look back at your childhood uh, and growing up, looking back, what were some of the biggest influences which you feel uh, you know, were factors in your career? I think the biggest influence was obviously watching my dad and uncle. I think, I think uh, my grandfather died at a very young age, right? And, and so he died two months before I was born. And uh, I just remember my dad and uncle used to work, I think, 18, 24 hour days sometimes. I would not see them at home. They, was, they used to sit in the office all day. And this is like, because back then, you know, running a stockbroking business meant a lot of paperwork. I mean, I remember going to the office, it was just filled with paper everywhere and they would be working nonstop. Uh, so that, I think that instilled this sense of, you know, like uh, yeah, that, that if you want to build something, you got to be prepared to, to, you know, and if you're passionate about something, you got to be prepared to put the time in. Right. And, and, and like, I, I think there is, 
a stat that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert, right? But, but I would say it takes 20,000 hours to really become awesome at something. Now you can decide 40 hours a week, you know, so it'll take you somewhere close to, you know, 500 weeks, which is roughly 10 years to become an expert in a field. Or you can say, I'm going to work 80 hours or 100 hours a week and then cut that time in, in half uh, or in, 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 you know, in, in, in one third. Uh, choice is yours. Right. And if you're passionate about something, if you really, really, you know, are, 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 you know, uh, uh, motivated enough, time is not the factor. Time doesn't really matter. Time sort of just flies, right? Uh, because you're so engrossed and so passionate about what you're doing. And I think that was one of the biggest learning experiences. Uh, obviously, my, my uh, sister and brother saw a little bit less because by the time the businesses started to grow and stabilize. But I remember like, you know, sitting in this... Uh, sitting in my uh, dad and uncle's office, small, four, you know, when they started, it was a small 130 square foot office, then it became a 500 square, uh, I think a 400 square foot, square foot office, then it became a 1400 square foot office. So I've seen that, and I've seen uh, them buying secondhand cars, and then because of a loss, the secondhand car had to be sold, and then then when we started buying new cars, and we buy new cars only, uh, you know, when you've been through that kind of a process, you realize the life of the entrepreneur is, is not, uh, one for everyone, you know, it's not, it's not a stable check at the end of the month, you know, uh, but, but you literally have the power to write your own destiny, right? And to me, that is, that is uh, quite empowering. Mm. So over these many years, uh, what do you see as your North Star? The amount of money I have in the bank? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I would say that to me, that the, the North Star metric for myself has been, you know, the uh, how large of an impact can I make on a company with the least amount of effort, right? And and I think that comes from being that. That's why I think we're investing not just in India. We're investing across the world now, right? As a family, we invested. We just did our first deal in Africa. We've done deals in Israel. We're connected to families in the U.S. We've done deals in the U.S. And then and now we're looking at Southeast Asia as another market. And the intent is that can we, you know, put together a global alliance where, you know, we have the ability to take a company and really take them global, right, without spending the effort of trying to build offices and all this stuff across the world. And and takes a bit of effort, takes a bit of risk to do that. But the intent, again, is that then you could find a company in Africa and bring them to India. You could take a company in India, take it to Southeast Asia and then from Southeast Asia to, to you know, Africa as well. And then... But how can I do all of this without spending my entire lifetime doing it, right? So how do you get the maximum impact with the lowest effort? I think that is, that, that is my uh, Nostra metric in that sense. So, you know, we, we track the number of requests that entrepreneurs send to us. We track that and we have to see how quickly we can close it and what is the most complex one that we've closed so far for them. And, and you know, uh, we celebrate. We celebrate when, we, when we've done something truly fantastic for an entrepreneur and it, was, it took... Uh, it took some effort or it, it, it happened just because we knew people. We made two phone calls and it was done. We track that kind of stuff and it tells us exactly the kind of impact we can provide to entrepreneurs because that's when we talk to the next set, we can tell them, listen, just tell us your problems right? be open about them and we'll be able to solve it. You, know, you can't go to the doctor's office and not tell them where it's hurting uh, because he, he doesn't know, does not know how to solve it if you don't tell them where exactly it's hurting. Mm. Okay. A few questions. Uh, think of them as rapid-fire questions. Just answer them in short sentences quickly. Don't think too much about them. Uh, one habit, first thing in the day, that sets you up for the rest of the day. 
reading and blogging uh one piece of advice that you never got uh this too shall pass <laughs> this i'll learn that later in life all right one person that you look up to uh, mr ratan tata okay there was a question on a book but you already mentioned that so i'll skip that one city that you'd love to live in uh chicago in the summers all right so in lieu of the question on the book i was just thinking i meant to ask earlier uh any one lesson that scuba diving really taught you that has a bearing in your vc work oh i i think um, scuba you know to that point i think scuba diving first of all reminds you to breathe right because when you're in the water you you can, you can get faced with many situations i, I mean i was uh, i've been faced with some really strong current and we didn't know exactly you know where would land up we have been in the water with sharks uh i've been you know we were in andamans and there was a tiger shark that suddenly showed up in the area it was very aggressive and uh, you know there's bunch of people to be picked up so you just be like listen to breathe you know stay calm and and things will pass i i, I think scuba diving sort of just centers you once again that you are not the center of the universe there is so much life below you they're not even aware of right and your job is to observe your job is to just breathe and and, and live that moment because you just don't know you know especially when you're diving in the dark you have no idea what's behind you you only know what's in front of you right so you just focus on that and you can make it from point a to point b in complete darkness right sometimes you know us as 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 in humans want to see we want to see delhi from bombay before we drive from here to there it's not possible you know you can drive from bombay to delhi at night with just looking at the next 100 meters that your headlights are showing you and you can make the journey of 49 kilometers by just looking at the next 100 meters that's what we sometimes you know that's what scuba diving always reminds you of right just remember what's in front of you focus on that forget about everything else excellent we really come to the end of our uh, time uh, anirudh wonderful conversation thank you again for making time for this night definitely hope to keep the conversation going thank you thank you so much and and you know amazing amazing conversation good to be on the other side of a rapid fire by the way <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks okay That was Anirudh Damani, our managing partner at Arthur Venture Fund. That's it for this week's Startup Fridays. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, wherever you're watching us, listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Have a wonderful Friday and a great weekend ahead.